You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. This is Dr. Saba Maruf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. everybody and welcome back to another episode of unsung heroes stories to inspire our purpose here is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers shakers and change makers in our communities and we truly hope that by sharing these stories of positivity we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action you can find us on Facebook and read about read up on all of our past um, episodes and posts about future episodes um, and also on the website, our website, podcastdetroit.com. Just follow the link to shows and unsung heroes and um, iTunes. And we're actually back up on Instagram, too, and follow us on unsung heroes stories. But I'm super excited to be back in the studio today with our sound engineer, Jessica. Hey, Jess. Hey, how are y'all? Good. How are you? Long time no see. Good. Welcome back. Thank you. I know I took a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm super excited today. We actually have a full room, full studio here. Um, I'm very excited to have four special guests here today representing um, some really important work and specifically a, a fellowship and a program called um, Feet in Two Worlds um, with WDET. And it's a program that aims to bring people together through food journalism. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, but I'm super excited. So just kind of an uh, intro. Um, so Feet in Two Worlds has brought the work of immigrant journalists and journalists of color to public radio for the last 15 years. And this is the first time that Detroit journalists were given a chance to grow and share their own experiences with a focus on the stories behind food. Um, now, I want, of course, I want you guys to uh, ch- share your stories and tell us more about the program. I don't want to talk too much, but definitely want to welcome you all. Dorothy Hernandez, Brittany Hudson. Serena Daniels and Nargis Rahman. Welcome guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. And I was just thinking about it. I think this are the, I think you guys are all our first journalists that we've had on the show. Definitely our first food journalists. And we'll Woo-hoo. talk a little bit about that. <laughs> so I'm super excited to get to know you and this wonderful project that has brought you all together. And I hope I um, introduced that all. Um, that was the information that Nargis had sent me. It sounded really it's really sounds like a really cool program. Um, and of course, food is always like the great, the common denominator for so many people and a delicious way to get to know each other. I wish we, you know, we should have had brought some sampling or something while we we're sitting here. It would have made it more like an in vivo experience. But yeah, um, lo- would love to hear about you guys. So if each of you could just introduce yourself and a little bit about your background, um, we can start from there. Dorothy? Hi, I'm Dorothy Hernandez. I am originally from Chicago, but I've lived in Detroit for several years now. Um, I was trained primarily as a print journalist, so I've worked at a lot of um, newspapers and magazines. Um, I'm a freelance journalist now, and Mm. I also have a Filipino pop-up restaurant called Syrup. Oh, wow, cool. Okay, we'll talk more about that. Okay, Um, let's see, Brittany. Hi, I'm Brittany Hudson. I am a native of New York. I've been in Detroit for a little under four years now. And I also was trained in journalism. I've written for uh, some national publications and done some work with government and nonprofit before I came to Detroit. 
and I'm currently also freelance food journalist. Wow, very cool. Nargis? So I'm Nargis Rahman, and like the others, I'm also a freelance journalist. Um, I worked at Care Michigan for a couple years as the office manager. Um, currently, I'm working at DMC as a program coordinator um, for medical education. Oh. And so writing is um, writing is my passion, so I, this fellowship was a way for me to pursue that passion. And wow. uh, my name is Serena Maria Daniels. I'm also a freelance journalist. Um, I'm also the founder of TostadaMagazine.com, uh, which is uh, an independent uh, media outlet here based in Detroit. Um, the focus really is on celebrating culture and uplifting communities through food journalism. So the fellowship and Tostada kind of go hand in hand. Wow, very cool. So you guys are all journalists, and that's what this fellowship was. It was open to journalism journalists that are already kind of out working and stuff. So um, I guess if you guys um, you know, want to tell me a little bit about kind of what inspired you to go into journalism, and how did you first hear about this program, and what inspired you to apply to, to, apply to it? Dorothy here. Um, so I first heard about Feet in Two Worlds um, when they came for the Allied Media Conference, so they had a day-long food workshop, and it was really great to just kind of get out of, um, you know, I'm used to pitching print outlets, and so they really helped us, you know, shape um, our pitches, and I just thought it was really good organization that uplifted voices of journalists of color. So then when they, they announced that they were coming to Detroit, um, I knew I wanted to be involved because I didn't have any audio journalism skills. So this was a really good um, path to gain those skills and add it to my um, repertoire. Yeah, totally. I I, I totally agree. Um, I've worked in print for throughout my career. Um, I've worked in a a number of traditional uh, newspaper newsrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, But nowadays, you know, being a journalist, being a freelancer, especially you have to have skills in all mediums, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's podcasting or um, producing for audio, you know, radio, um, even, you know, shooting videos on your iPhone, you have to kind of like have your hand on a a little bit of everything. So I think this, uh, you know, I I heard about it actually through a friend of mine, Martina Guzman, who participated about 11 years ago in a similar fellowship. and she encouraged me to apply. Um, you know, I obviously have been doing food journalism already, but it's mostly print or photographs. So this is kind of, um, like I said, just kind of married the two together in a, in a really uh, productive way, I would say. Um, so this is Nargis here. Um, I would say kind of basically what Dorothy and Serena both echoed um, that uh, been writing in print um, and haven't really dwelled into the radio um, aspect of learning, you know, journalism in that way. Um, I did an internship with WDT several years back during my undergrad, so I was familiar with the studio, <clears throat> but I didn't do a ton of work um, on the radio myself. I wrote stories um, mm-hmm. that were read by somebody on the newscast, so I thought it was um, a cool opportunity to learn about how to do it myself and also to write about food and immigration, which is, um, I don't think people really put those two things together. And food is a really um, easy way to talk to people because people love to talk about food and people will open up and share a lot of personal stories through the vehicle of food. So I thought that was a really cool opportunity. Um, I learned about the fellowship 
from a friend named Aisha Jamali. Um, she was she's in the Journalism Institute um, for Media Diversity at Wayne State, and she had posted this um, fellowship opportunity. So that's how I heard about it. <coughs> wow. Sorry, this Brittany. is Brittany here. Um, I'm going to echo a lot of what the other ladies just said, but um, I got into journalism when I was in college. And uh, I really wanted to get into journalism because I wanted to tell stories uh, of other people, uh, to be a voice for those people you know, who couldn't use their voice. And um, so from there, I worked at magazines and websites and... Um, I was last in Washington, D.C. before I moved to Michigan. So I took actually a break from journalism when I came to Michigan because I went to grad school, um, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, to study user experience or also known as human-computer interaction. Hmm. And uh, I was still writing on the side a little bit during that time while I was in grad school. And um, after I finished grad school, I moved to Detroit. And just um, from an outsider perspective, really started to learn about the good food movement here. Um, I went to college at Howard University. So, Mm. you know, I'm I'm really um, entrenched with activism and, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So all that was just really intriguing to me. And I actually learned about the Feet and Two Worlds. uh, I'll go back. Dorothy, I, I was actually also Dorothy, Serena and I were also in that one day uh, food workshop that Feet and Two Worlds um, hosted at the Allied Media Conference. And I learned about that through uh, the Food Lab uh, executive director, Davida Davison. She sent that to me and encouraged me to apply, which I did. And actually, there is where I met Serena, who gave me a chance to start building up my portfolio with food journalism clips uh, through her uh, Tostada magazine. So from there, um, I think just through my social media channels and already being involved with Feeding Two Worlds, I um, found out about the fellowship, which I applied for because I thought that'd be a great way to, you know, continue building my portfolio as well as, you know, trying another mode of storytelling. Like I said, I'm trained as a print journalist as well, never did radio or broadcast. So this was completely new to me and completely out of my comfort zone. Wow, cool. So tell us, um, for our listeners that don't know, I guess, um, what is food journalism? I guess if people don't know what that is. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is Serena, by the way. Um, I think that there are so many definitions mm-hmm. um, when you think about food journalism or those words together. Uh, some people consider it uh, recipe development. Uh, you know, when you read in, in some of the lifestyle or, you know, home magazines or whatever, um, you know, people will write out recipes and maybe have like a little narrative ar- around uh, how they discovered the food. Um, it can mean celebrity chefs. Um, you know, that's so popular these days. You know, there's so many like uh, Netflix shows and and series around chefs and, and exploring uh, different uh, food ways. Um, for me, food journalism is about exploring culture, um, exploring identity, um and and really finding um finding out how food kind of I, unifies all of us um we all eat we all have our traditions at home we ha- all have like a history uh behind everything that we eat uh dating back centuries generations um and no matter where you come from you, we can relate on that level um and so i mm-hmm. think it it has that power to bring us together 
And how cool that it's here, like centered in Detroit. So did it start with W? Did WT? Is it a WDET thing? Like, was it always in Detroit, or does it? Are there different chapters or? Oh, Feet in Two Worlds. Yeah, um, Feet in Two Worlds is out of New York, out of the the New School. Um, oh. And so they've been there throughout their existence. Okay. Um, and so Detroit is actually the first city outside of New York. Oh, okay. To have um, a fellowship program, um, and so it. it I guess we're the guinea pigs, oh, <laughs> so to cool. speak. We're like the the first uh, class of, of uh, fellows out of Detroit. Okay. So what does the fellowship consist of? Can someone kind of like what – now, do you guys work together as a group and you also do individual stories? How does that work? We do uh, – this is Brittany. We do our own individual stories, but we, I would say, are very – we're an emotional and supportive uh, foundation for each other through the <laughs> fellowship. Um, so the base of the fellowship is that we're contracted to do two radio features for WDET. And that includes, you know, we've, we've done, um, some trainings about just radio journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we go through a process of, you know, pitching stories, getting feedback on those stories, going out into the field, doing reporting and, um, then go through the process of writing and revising, you know, drafts, um, working with uh, Feet and Two World mentors to, you know, iron that out and make it crisp and make it uh, prepared for radio. And then we go in and record the stories. And then after that, um, WDT packages the stories and releases them. Okay. Wow. Really, very cool. Um, what What are some of the stories that you can – think of that um so you've started you all started this in september so and then is it like a one-year program uh no or actually is it like it's kind of, well it kind of depends on when we finish our our stories um typically we do two feature stories I see. um consisting of three to anywhere from three minutes to seven minutes um and so you know we go out we do the reporting uh, we record sound. We record uh, natural sound or ambience to give you know the listener the the feel as if they're there. Um, and we also did a you know a couple of exercises as a group. We um, it was actually kind of fun. We went to when we were doing our orientation. We went to uh, Eastern Market, and our assignment mm -hmm. was on the spot. Um, we had to find a vendor. Um, and interviewed them and just, it was called audio postcard. And so you're just listening to, you know, they just talk straight and you edit out your questions and then, you know, the, the listener can kind of feel like they're at the market on a Saturday. So, um, so yeah, yeah. that was a lot of fun. We worked with, uh, we do have mentors as well. And so, um, they kind of helped us like think about the types of questions we, we should ask so you know that way uh um you know just to kind of keep the conversation going and make it interesting so yeah it was a lot of fun so this is nargis here um just to you know what dorothy was saying we're definitely an emotional support system for each other we have a little secret text message group that we love <laughs> to um boast about oh, yeah. but it's always fun um to really be a part of a program with women of color who are we are all from different walks of life we all have a really big passion for uplifting voices, and we all have unique voices to bring to the table. One of the things about the fellowship is that they've really encouraged us to 
um, tap into our own um, expertise in our in our own cultures or in our own walks of life and bring that to the table and not shy away from saying things that maybe traditional media, you know, we don't always we're not always able to say those two two cents that we might want to add in to add texture to those stories. Um, for example, I'm from the Bangladeshi community. So my stories that I'm doing, my features are are based on Bangladeshi stories within the community. And, um, you know, I try to focus one of my stories. I try to focus on um, a female um, mainly for the story, because I think sometimes that's something that isn't picked up by traditional media or perhaps it's not accessible to traditional media because it's, you know, those people behind the scenes that are that have these amazing stories. We just don't know about them. And those pers- our personal connections in the community help us bring those stories to life. Um, and I've, I think all of us have received tremendous support from the community um, and our mentors. And we've really been um, getting a lot of positive feedback from our stories. And we're also getting other opportunities to write other food journalism stories. Um, like all of us have also written for Detroit Eater. And um, just the amazing feedback we're getting um, with our work and the, that people are appreciating these different kind of stories, fun, lighthearted, but yet with death, um, that's something that I think uh, is unique. And I think our fellowship is really helping us look at those stories in a different angle and try to bring them to life in, in a different way. Wow, that's so interesting. And I, I really like what you're saying. I mean, that's I've never thought about that, but especially focusing on women, because so many times women, um, you know, that's how that's a kind of a love language, um, especially with generations, you know, our mothers, grandmothers, in many cultures, they might not have, that's how they said that, that's how they showed their affection. And they said, I love you. They might not have said, I love you. Sometimes that's a very American thing, actually. But that's how they showed that they loved. And then many of these women oftentimes were like, literally sustaining their families, but kind of like more in the background. Um, but you're like, really, like you said, bringing, giving a voice to that experience and to those stories. Um, what is your, let's see, what have you learned about each other in this process? And what have you learned about yourself? Um, well, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, well, it's kind of related, but I just want to share that being in, uh, this group of such talented, um, women journalists, um, we all support each other and that even just in the fellowship, just like in our other endeavors. Um, I was working on a freelance story about um, a Bangladeshi um, woman who, who partnered up with um, a white woman to do a garden. And I had written a story about them before, but it was kind of through the perspective of, you know, the white woman, but I feel like that story is very, very centered on the Bangladeshi woman. But since there was a language barrier, I couldn't really um, communicate with her um, as richly as I would have liked to. So when I had the opportunity again to interview her, I immediately asked Nargis to help me. And I feel like the story I got was so much richer than what I did originally. And I wouldn't, mm. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't know Nargis. So um Again, let's talk about her expertise. Um, she was able to help me, and um, I hope I can help my fellow fellows the same way that they all help me. Wow. This is Nargis here. Thank you. That was really sweet of you <laughs> and unexpected. But uh, d- Dorothy definitely has also helped me um, plug me into the Detroit Eater community because I didn't really know Brenna. 
Um, and it's like all of us are writing for Detroit Eater, which is so amazing that um, all of us are able to kind of help each other up. And um, that's something that we really care about with each other. And, you know, in, in an all honesty, we don't really know each other for a lot long, but I think we vibed with each other right away. And there's just something about um, our our, like, you know, uh, support group that is really unique because I think so, a lot of times in any field, but especially in journalism, you can feel kind of lost um, and lost in the mm-hmm. system, especially if you're a freelancer. You don't always have someone to reach out to to get a second kinda opinion. Isolated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this kind of created our little community within the community. So I think that definitely helps us in, you know, all so- in all sorts of ways. And we also got to hang out one time um, and just you know, eat and have fun and laugh about it. And I think that's also unique because um, you don't always get to eat with people that um, don't always eat the same food at the same Mm -hmm. time. So I think that's also kind of fun. We try to have fun with our um, fellowship as well, (laughs) not always serious. Um, But yeah, I think that we definitely um, uh, really benefit from having this new relationship with each other. And I I think I'm very grateful that we get along. Um, because if we didn't, I don't think, I think we'd be super competitive, but we're not. Mm. We're very supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, this is Serena. Um, we, I mean, we're all experts at something, um, whether it's our own identity, our own culture, um, our own experiences in journalism or in writing. Um, you know, like Nargis said, we have this long-running uh, text <laughs> message thread that <laughs> – People just, you know, one of us will go off and then, you know, before we know it, there's an hour long uh, thread or, <laughs> you know, jokes or, you know, just like, um, you know. Uh, we got this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Lots of emojis floating around that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, you know, as, as Brittany mentioned also, you know, she started off, um, you know, with food journalism contributing to Tostada. Um, and now we're working together in this different setting. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, you know, once the fellowship ends, having, you know, everybody contribute in their own way. And it, we've already been talking about that a little bit. Um, I just feel like there's a this great synergy between what we're doing as individuals and as a group. Uh, yeah, this is Brittany. Um, again, I'm just going to echo what the other ladies have said. Um, but as far as the fellowship itself, like I said, it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I mean, even though I applied, I really wasn't sure how I was going to take to radio. But I actually ended up really enjoying it. So when our first feature stories came out, and just to hear the end product after, you know, like I know the whole experience from beginning to end. So just Hearing that and seeing what manifested from that process was really, um, it was really amazing to me. And I'm like, you know, I think I would want to continue this after the fellowship is over. Um, But even more than that, I'm very thankful and grateful for these ladies and their uh, friendship and their uh, support, because that was one of the things that I was looking for in the fellowship. I didn't know it would result in this, but I did mention, you know, I would like to expand my network. Um, as Nargis said, being a freelance writer is very isolating. And I was freelancing before I came to Detroit. Like I was freelancing um, in D.C. So a lot of the times, like I said, it was very isolating. It's just mm-hmm. me. And you always have these thoughts in your head and, you know, you don't have anybody to bounce it off with. So it can get, you know, feel a little overwhelming at times. Um, so like the ladies are saying in our text message thread, you know, we'll talk about the fellowship, we'll talk about life, we'll talk about, 
you know, our anxiety or, you know, do you have questions about this or how do you feel about this? So um, if anything, that's definitely something, you know, I'm going to take away from this. And like Serena said, looking forward to collaborating with the ladies um, for other opportunities, whether that's for Tostada or other ways. Um yeah, I think that's wow. Well, amazing. yeah, no, I can tell that your group chat is pretty active because I think it took like Nargis like five minutes to confirm with me that you could all come. I'm like, wow, that was fast. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's that's a really good point, though, like on so many levels. Number one, I think um, what I garnered was that um, number one, that this is like a program that's kind of for like you guys have already been working. You've been in the field for a few years. And I think that's really cool. So you're like experience, you know, you have some experience under your belt. Um, but it took that's kind of like an act of courage and bravery to go out there out of your comfort zone and apply for something different. I can kind of relate um, in a sense that I'm a psychiatrist and that can be a little I work in a kind of in a clinic setting. And usually there's like one, maybe two, but one psychiatrist. And then once you're with a patient, you're like in the room. Most of the day I'm spent like in my office with a patient. But you're not like with a big group of people. So I can kind of relate to that. And, you you know, although you're talking all day or listening, should be listening more probably. Um, <laughs> but um, but also, you know, just that it can be as we age, it's it's easier to fall into our comfort zones physically and then also socially too. like just kind of stick with the friends that, you know, that you've known like since high school or, you know, whatever. It's hard to make friends as adults. So it seems like this is like such a cool way. And professionally or it's a professional development but also socially and kind of out of your comfort zone now and all and of course all of you are women of color too i know nargis mentioned that she's from the bangladeshi community dorothy you're a filipino back, background filipino background oh, yes uh, my parents immigrated Since people can't see us <laughs> immigrated to america um from the philippines okay and Brittany, um black woman um <laughs> so that was interesting to me um coming to detroit mm-hmm. knowing a little bit of the history about detroit and looking at the media of Detroit, not even just from a food perspective, but the media in general of Detroit was very white centered, which was really, you know, I was really taken aback by that. I'm like, because this is a predominantly African-American city and no one is telling the stories about these people who have been here, you know, through all these trial and tribulations that the city has been going through. And then when you hear stories about Detroit today, it's, you know, very, like I said, white centered, very hipster. Mm-hmm. I'm like... That's not no, that's not the real story. So that was another reason that I was very um, uh, encouraged and wanted to do food journalism. Um, I mean, I love food, you know, just personally in my personal life. But I didn't realize I'm like, wow, I can really combine something that I love food with something that I do already, which is writing. Like I said, having an interest in activism and people making a way out of nothing um, was just a great way to combine all of that. So um, that's why, you know, to me, this is really, really important, like I said, to help tell the stories of people who are here and are really are helping the city move into its next chapter. And it's not about, you know, this white billionaire, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, these white hipsters moving in. It's about the people who are here. And even if, you know, you're not originally from Detroit, because I know other African-American women and people of color who aren't from Detroit, but they're, they want to be here to help improve the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate to, um, I'm a Mexican American. I grew up on the West Coast, mostly in Los Angeles, which uh, a lot of people would consider another Latin American city. Um, and so moving to the Midwest and moving to Detroit, um, the Latino community is much smaller. 
um, but it's still it, it's still very active and um, and very close knit. Uh, Southwest Detroit, you know, if you're from that neighborhood um, or Mexican town, like you know the people who've been there for generations. Um, you know the activists. You know. Um, the owners of the different restaurants and stuff. It's like family. Um, mm-hmm. And yet there's really nobody, uh, not very much in the way of representation in the media. Um, you know, I can think of a couple of uh, bilingual newspapers. Um, there's no Spanish language uh, television station um, in Detroit. Um, and so... Uh, the Latino community is largely left out of the narrative of Detroit. Um, uh, and like, as Brittany said, you know, uh, the African-American community as well. Um, I think it's a reflection of of the newsrooms. Um, if you look inside um, the offices of the different TV stations or radio stations or um, newspaper outlets, it is uh, largely uh, white. Um, largely male. And so, um, those journalists will tap into the people that they know and that, mm-hmm. um, into their own, you know, personal comfort zone and, uh, are far less likely to reach out of that. Um, but I think we know that we have communities, um, that we can tap into our own communities. And, um, and so, that that gives us an advantage, really. Um, I think that uh, producing um, media as a person of color, um, as a Latina, I think um, it, it, it's it's a huge opportunity to tap into something that no one else really is capable. I mean, quite honestly, is capable of. So, um, I would wanted to just add. This is Nargis here. Um, that. In the Bangladeshi community, particularly, um, we the the media does cover the community. However, um, a lot of Bangladeshis live in Hamtramck, Detroit, Sterling Heights, Troy area. But predominantly, whenever the Bangladeshi community is written about, it's usually about how poor they are or how they come from this poor place next to India, this little poor country, and you know they're struggling. And um, a lot of times, when there are positive stories, there are just about the restaurants and the grocery shops which are predominantly owned by men, and th- those voices are put into the paper. Um, very rarely are women interviewed. Are they accessible? Are they heard? We really don't know all the sweat and tears behind all those businesses, how many women are supporting those men, and in, in what ways even. Um, and so I think for me personally, I am really interested in finding positive stories, stories that uh, do not talk about those elements, but also show that there is a very vibrant community. Um, The Bangladeshi community is the third largest in the U.S. in the Detroit area. And so I think that um, I I feel like the younger generation is definitely um, tapping into that energy and trying to do something with that um, versus just opening grocery shops and restaurants, which are great. And we need those. Um, we need those uh, businesses in the community to thrive. But we also need um, women to be more recognized and for them to step out of their comfort zones and really take lead and um, show that the Bangladeshi community has something to offer and is has been offering a lot to the U.S., um, in very small ways, in big ways, you know, just that 
there aren't anybody there isn't there isn't anybody really talking to those women um and the and I would also say that um I would encourage the men to really give an opportunity to hand the mic over to the women whenever possible to allow women to be um more featured um and in the space and I think being a Bangladeshi woman is can be very challenging um and rewarding at the same time um because not everyone wants to talk to you and doesn't want you to you know um take away focus from what's already been focused on but i think that um it comes as a blessing and a curse but it's helpful when people can see someone that they can relate to they can speak to um and they're able to express um similar type of uh, you know um accomplishments and and you know someone is listening on the other end and not just shutting them out so i think um this fellowship uh really um encourages all of us to go back into our communities and tap into those those spaces and to bring awareness to these types of issues within our communities as well wow dorothy did you have anything to add I want to put you on the spot, which I am. <laughs> or just, I guess, um, you know, your background and, you know, being in Detroit or like kind of the stories that you're covering. Anything um, in particular? Well, um, Filipinos make up the second largest Asian population in America, but the community the community is really small here. Um, so that's something I've noticed. But even though it's a small community, they're very active and they're very passionate about their culture. I see a lot of them at my pop-ups. A lot of them have become my friends. Um, I think uh, a question I get asked often is if I'm going to open a restaurant, and um, my answer is always no, unless somebody's <laughs> going to give me millions of dollars. But <laughs> what I really love doing about the pop-ups is that I'm creating this space for Filipinos um, in the community to just to kind of bond together over our shared love of food. There aren't that many Filipino restaurants around. So um, even though I don't claim to be the best Filipino chef, I'm not even a chef. Um, <laughs> my my husband is my partner in the pop-up and he's the chef, but he's not Filipino. So we make up like one complete Filipino <laughs> chef, I guess, together. Um, but um, What's like, a pop-up? Oh, a pop-up. Um, Sorry, I don't know. But I must assuming <laughs> everyone, you don't know what a pop-up is? <laughs> so um, a pop-up is basically, um, like for me, we'll take over a space, whether it's a restaurant, a cafe, um, usually in the, in the off hours. Okay. Um, like our first pop-up was at Sapino Pizzeria, and they're not oh. open on Sundays, so um, they let us come in on Sunday. Um so it's a really good way for for us to just experiment with different things. We have a pop-up coming up next weekend at Revolver, and we're doing a traditional Filipino dinner where you eat with your hands. Um, so that's what I really like to offer through the pop-up restaurant is just unique ex- experiences that you wouldn't get at a typical restaurant here. That is so cool. What are some Filipino foods that we should know about if we wanted to like sample um the popular i feel like items. a lot of people know that filipino nurse at the hospital where they like bring <laughs> food so most of the time they'll bring they'll bring egg rolls and they'll bring consit which is noodles um and adobo um mm. it's um braised uh it's a technique but it's braised chicken or pork um in soy sauce and vinegar 
So those are like the main ones, but the Philippines has 7,000 plus islands. Um, that's another thing I really like to explore through the pop-up is just the different regions. If you go in the south, um, I, the Philippines, it's, it's a lot of Catholics, but if you go in the south, there's a lot of Muslims. So they're mm-hmm. not, you know, you're not going to find a lot of pork there. Mm-hmm. Um, the province my mom is from, um, they have a lot of coconuts. So there's a lot of coconut milk and spice. But if you travel to uh, Manila, where my dad is from, um, you know, the food is very different. So just, you know, a lot of people, what people think of Filipino food might just be the adobo or the pancit or egg rolls, but um, there's just so much more to explore. Um, and we try to do different regional dishes too at the pop-up that you wouldn't normally see. Wow, how cool. How about um, you guys, like what are some of the other, like I guess types of like at foods from the regions that you're from or like or your cultural background that you've kind of highlighted or honed in on? Yeah, yeah. Well, Mexican food is probably the second or third po- most popular ethnic food in the country in the United States. Um, but I think that um, people's notions of what Mexican food is is somewhat limited. Um, so you like know, Tex-Mex. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you have like um, tacos, burritos, nachos, enchiladas. Um, you know, a lot of red sauce, a lot of cheese, you know, melted cheese, refried beans, that sort of thing. That's that's what you might traditionally find in uh, some of the older Mexican town uh, restaurants. Um, but like uh, Dorothy was saying, I mean, Mexico is a huge country. It covers a lot of uh, geography, a lot of different um ethnic and indigenous backgrounds, um, as well as colonized like Spanish traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a lot of different climates. You have, you know, desert climate, you have coastal regions, you have more like uh, jungle or, you know, kind of rainforest uh, climate. And with all of that is a huge diversity of, of food. Um what I've noticed um, in Detroit is a large is a kind of like a growing number of um, restaurant owners who are coming up with menus that are not typical to the region. So you know, kind of walking away from that Tex-Mex uh, background and um, introducing food from uh, Puebla or from Oaxaca. Um, you know, there are a number of women who actually make uh, mole, which is like this traditional kind of uh, sauce that you would top on like chicken or turkey or even enchiladas. Um, Mole comes in a variety of different um, textures and flavors, um, but it's it's really a a technique and and, like labor intensive Mm -hmm. kind of recipe. Um, And so there are a number of women who take those uh, heirloom recipes from the region in Mexico where they're from and making mole and selling it um, at church or between their friends um, so that it can be enjoyed at parties or weddings or what have you. Um, so you have you have that kind of like informal business cropping up. Uh, you also have, um, you know, there, there's a large number of Mexicans from the state of Jalisco. Um, and so a lot of the menus are very similar. Um, but then you have, uh, you know, people coming in from other regions. I actually just went to a restaurant the other day 
the husband is from uh, Sinaloa and the wife is from uh, Chihuahua. And so those are states in the northern section of Mexico that border like Texas and Arizona. Um, and so their traditions are totally unique. And so they just open a restaurant and, and people are, are excited about it because it's something new and different. Wow, how cool. Um, so this is Nargis. I would say in the Bangladeshi community, um, <clears throat> I think that when people – well, one thing in the Bangladeshi community is when we open restaurants, they're typically advertised as Indian food. Mm-hmm. And people gravitate or Google search Indian food and the Bangladeshi restaurants come up right away. Um, so that's that's been the norm, I guess, for the Bangladeshi community for, for ages. And I think um, what I've noticed in the food writing community is a lot of food writers, a lot of them are women who are trying to – bring up that um, the homemade food is where it's at. So if you can get that meal, um, (laughs) you want to have it at someone's house, uh, potentially probably an auntie or grandma cooking it for you um, to to really have that traditional food. Um, There is a writer named Mayuk Sen who is also, um, he's a, a, uh, he won a James Beard Award recently and he really likes to focus on all types of minority women and talking about what they cook. And I think that's a really unique um, experience angle that he takes and it's really needed and because he's a guy it's I think it's kind of cool that he's doing it um, but he is one of those people who kind of is leading that path um, to writing about minority women people are cooking at home or like a there's one a story he featured about a mom and a daughter um, in New Jersey that opened and they sell traditional Bangladeshi food um, I think pe- when people go to the restaurant they usually order butter chicken <laughs> and chicken 65 that's all the rave um, but I would encourage you to order some biryani, um, mm-hmm. some of the sweets, because Bangladeshis love their sweets. A lot of times they're homemade and sent to the restaurants, and some of the restaurants now also make them at the restaurant. Um, I would also encourage you to try a fish dish. Um, like Serena said, um, Bangladesh is very diverse and unique in different regions. Um, a lot of the community here is from the Silet region. And so a lot of the food is um, like, you know, um, people are farmers. They grow their own food um, back home. And they also do that in the Detroit community, which we also all learned that a lot of our communities farm their own food here as well in their own backyards. Um, You know, everything from peppers to different kinds of um, squash and beans and whatnot. And um, uh, I would say that um, they also, uh, I think, other people know that Bangladeshis are good at cooking fish, I guess. Um, so, you know, if you're a kid like me, probably ate mostly chicken and like, you know, goat curry or something. But um, definitely our parents, you know, like to have their occasional fish. And that's because in Bangladesh, people live by the rivers or streams and little ponds and had to fish for their own uh, food. And so that's definitely something that um, Bangladeshis love to eat. Um, but I wouldn't say that's all they eat. Um, so if you do go to a Bangladeshi restaurant, try something else on the menu, not the t- typical chicken tikka and not the butter <laughs> chicken. Um, and I would also say, um, in- ask the ask the chef, you know, what is something that's traditional that you ha- offer here that I would that I should try. Um, and sometimes, you know, the best way to taste things is to ask for um, a reference. Um, but yeah, I would say that. Um, the, the food scene is changing and people are being, are more proud to um, say that this, this is Bangladeshi food versus saying this is Indian food. So I think that's another trend that I've noticed in the food writing space that people are uh, coming out and saying, no, this is a Bangladeshi thing or this is how we pronounce it in our language. And we're not just going to, you know, stick to what's the norm. 
Um, so I think that's exciting, um, and that's an exciting thing to follow as well as a food writer. Oh, this is Brittany here. Um, I would say um, it's a little different for me being an African-American woman in that, um, you know, our food way goes back to, you know, Southern food. So you hear a lot about soul food, but I think now we're really redefining what that means and what that looks like because due to, you know, cultural appropriation and colonization, you know, a lot of us are lost and we don't really understand the history of our food. So even for me, just going through this fellowship and getting into food journalism, I mean, I'm even learning about that through, you know, other food writers that I follow on social media, learning um, from the community members in Detroit, you know, what that looks like. And, you know, like I said, soul food, it it doesn't mean, you know, what we typically you know, the stereotype is, you know, fried foods, fat food, sugar, you know, Latin foods, like all that, like it's, you know, vegan, like there's different ways of defining black food without being so limited. And that's what I'm learning and trying to also um, promote through my own writing. Um, I also didn't mention this earlier, I have a food blog called Fed and Bougie, which is what I started because I wanted to you know, have um, a way to talk about, you know, food the way, you know, the way I see it um, in my life through the community and how community members are using food to, like I said, uh, feed themselves, feed their families, feed the community. Um, and then also as a personal note, I also have a Creole background. So I'm also learning about that as part of my own heritage and how that's showing up in Black food. So to me, it's... um it's a um, in process uh, learning. Um, sorry, how you say it? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just learning about it along the way. So I totally get what you're saying, though, um, <laughs> you. because I like my family. Um, my family dates back to like um, we can trace our roots to Texas, which you know, 150 plus years ago was part of Mexico, and then a line got drawn. Uh, mm-hmm. so to speak, and all of a sudden we're Americans. And so um, a lot of our our culture kind of either gets erased in a way because we have to like assimilate to American mm-hmm. culture. Um, and also, I mean, if you think about Texas being, you know, once upon a time part of Mexico, um, that region has a very specific style of food as well. And so you know, what I kind of grew up um, being familiar with is very different from somebody from Jalisco or Michoacan or, um, you know, Sinaloa. Um, and so there, there's kind of like this uh, hierarchy, of, I guess, of like what is considered like authentic. Um, and it's really it's really a, a complicated process of unpacking all of mm-hmm. that. Um, and so, yeah, I totally get what Brittany's saying. <laughs> Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I'm like, my parents are from India and Pakistan. So it's like some of the foods might be similar to Bangladeshi foods, but are very different too. Because that whole region was one country, you know, 50, a little more than 50 years ago. Um, And so the food that like my mom's family makes is totally different than my dad's family. And so much of that is influenced exactly like you're saying, like probably British colonialism, but also uh, Mughal influence too. So it's really interesting the types of spices that you use and um, even like, yeah, really the heat. I mean, 
typically think of Indian food, you know, as really hot, but it's like it's actually can really vary depending on the spices. But unfortunately, we are all out of time. I feel like we're really getting into it and we could just like talk, you know, sit here and of course you can talk about food, but it's just it's so fascinating um, that exactly as you mentioned, Nargis, that food is a vehicle for like talking about where we're from and um, and of course, kind of what we have more in common than um, than the differences, but celebrating those differences too. So thank you guys so much. Where can people find out uh, more about the fellowship? Um, like is our website or even just like, actually, yeah, where can we find your work? Like the work that you're publishing? Um, so our f- work is featured right now on WDET and Feet in Two Worlds. Um, so that is fi2w.org okay. and wdet.org. Both of them um, feature our work. And we all have public social media f- um, pages that you could follow. Um, so mine is uh, Nargis the Writer. I'm at... Uh at Tostada Magazine on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Serena Maria 36 on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I don't have a unified brand uh, yet. But, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, one mine too. <laughs> uh, on Instagram, I'm just at Dorothy H. And then my um, my pop-up, you can find me at Syrup Detroit. Um, that's more unified. Oh, that's really cool. And this is Brittany. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fed and Bougie, all one word, all together. Okay, so. awesome. And then I'll get all the information and definitely we'll have that in our show notes too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great conversation, taking time away from your work and families and sharing your voices and stories. This is amazing. Um, and to our listeners, you can, again, find our information on Facebook, our Instagram page, and look up, look out for updates. And feel free to send us a message anytime through any of our platforms that I mentioned above with your uh, – that I've mentioned with your suggestions for more inspiring stories. And um, that wraps it up. We'll uh, see you next time here on Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire. Bye. <laughs>